0: Welcome to KCOU 88.1 FM Columbia. You are listening to Panorama. My name is Lily and I am joined in the studio by Nico and Emmett. Today we are talking about police reform, but before we get started, Emmett is going to briefly describe what that includes.
1: Although reforming the police is not a new topic in the American dialogue, especially among black Americans, the subject has held a fast grip on the news cycle since May 5th, 2020. On that day, a black man in Minneapolis named George Floyd was choked to death under the knee of a white police officer named Derek Chauvin. A shop owner had called the police after Floyd allegedly bought cigarettes there with counterfeit money, and Chauvin killed Floyd on the scene. Breonna Taylor of Louisville, Kentucky was fatally shot by a police officer who raided her home on a no-knock warrant. Witnesses said the officers came into the home without announcing they were police. Thinking they were intruders, Taylor's boyfriend shot at them, leading them to fire at and kill Taylor. Floyd and Taylor were not the first black people to die at the hands of the police, and they have not been the last. According to a 2019 study published by the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, black men are over twice as likely to be killed by police than white men are. The study found that one in every 1,000 black men can expect to die by police. Women of color, and particularly indigenous women, are also much more likely to die by police than their white counterparts. The outreach of bystander footage showing Floyd's death sparked protests all across the country that burned throughout the summer. These protests garnered national attention, and coverage of these protests illuminated that police were not just killing black men, they were cracking down hard on protests as well. The U.S. House of Representatives tackled a police reform bill in June that would primarily reduce police officers' legal immunity and provide more avenues to hold them accountable. The bill never reached the Senate. Last week, though, the House passed the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, the same bill they passed in June. The bill prohibits racial profiling, chokeholds by federal police, and no-knock warrants in federal drug cases. It also curtails police officers' qualified immunity privilege, and creates a nationwide registry to track police misconduct. All but one Republican and two Democrats oppose the bill, leaving a bleak prospect for the bill's survival in the 50-50 Senate.
0: All right, thanks for that great introduction, Emmett. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, Nico is going to give us his perspective from the right. Stay tuned.
2: If you love them enough to sit through their favorite boy band with them then surely you'll check NHTSA.gov slash the right seat to make sure they're correctly buckled in the back seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ag Council. My part-time service in the Army National Guard makes it possible for me to be more for the community I call home. My training helps me at work when I lead by example. My service in the Army National Guard allows me to keep my community and those I care about safe from threats. Learn more about how you, too, can live and serve part-time close to home by visiting NationalGuard.com.
0: Sponsored by the Missouri Army National Guard. Aired by the Missouri Broadcasters Association at this station. Welcome back to Panorama on KCOU 88.1 FM, Columbia. We're just about to dive into today's discussion on police reform, and Nico will start us off with his opinion.
2: Far too long have police had the ability to harm and abuse their power with disregard for regulation and decency or statewide accountability. This is something apparent to most people, and people know that change is needed. Officers with prejudices and rampant racism should never be tolerated. Nothing will change if there is no change in the system to train and serve the police officers. First and foremost, the most important change can be to create a new system of accountability and transparency. We have done well to install police cameras on officers, as that shows us how the officers react to certain situations and in periods of high stress. It is important for these police to take responsibility for their actions when they fail and are suspended or fired if their actions completely cross the line. We should also focus on restitution to help officers be better at what they do. When they go too far, they can and should be taken off the field and try to work better. Before officers can be put on the front lines, there should be a complete change in the process it takes to become a police officer as it does with any other official working for the state. Police education should be uniform across the country. Some states even allow police officers to start working before they even begin basic training. The average officer spends as much time training as a licensed barber. Officers should also go through patience and bias-centered training alongside their job training. Policing is a highly intensive job, and a lack of patience is repeatedly a factor that appears throughout incidents of improper policing. Like it has been said, and it will be said a few more times on this episode, many cases of policing derive from reports on people's mental health. I believe it is important to get the right people on those calls rather than just police. People who work and train to handle mental health issues, rather than police officers who go in and are immediately frustrated with a lack of allegiance. These people need to be helped, not dealt with. Finally, I call for us to continue to respect the police. While there are many changes that need to happen to improve the institution and allow it to go forward, not all police officers are bad cops. Most police genuinely do care and want to make the country a better and safer place for all who live here and who go go through an insane amount of stress every day to try to accomplish that.
1: Nico, I think you suggest a lot of good solutions here. But if we want to ensure that the police behave better, I think we need to realize that in many ways, the police aren't an institution worthy of respect, because I think you have to earn respect, and I'm not sure that through their behavior, the police as an institution have earned that. At what point does respecting the police as an institution become a cover for individual cops' bad behavior and the institution's problematic origins?
2: I do not think respecting the institution should by any means help bad behavior in policing. These police officers should go through remediation and or termination and charges if necessary. But the police who are here to make us safe do risk their lives every day to make everyone black or white safer.
0: Um, You also said police officers should go through patience and bias training. What do you think that training might look like? And what do you think might be some of the biggest issues that training could alleviate?
2: I think this needs to be two different but important focuses on their policing training. Patients' training would walk officers through situations that would cause them to slow down to better access the situation and create a better plan rather than quickly coming up with a foolish plan in their head that could injure someone who is not a threat to themselves or others. Bias training is currently being taught in some states as a part of training already. It reveals what kind of biases they have and how to overcome and ultimately eliminate discriminatory behavior. Together, these will help police take a step back, breathe, and create a better plan of action that will keep everyone safe.
0: All right. Thank you, Nico. We're going to take another quick break and then come back with my perspective from the center. Stay tuned.
2: she's Majesty's a pretty nice girl, but she doesn't have a lot to say. My Majesty's a pretty nice girl, but she changes from day to day. I want to tell her that I love her a lot, but I gotta get a belly full of wine. My Majesty's a pretty nice girl, someday
1: I'm gonna make a mine, oh yeah. Someday I'm gonna make a mine.
0: Welcome back to Panorama on KCOU 88.1 FM Columbia. Today we're talking about police reform. We just heard from Nico about how he feels on the right, and now I will talk about my opinion on the issue from the le- or from the center, sorry. Um, first, I want to start out by talking a bit about an instance i personally experienced. My sophomore year of high school, a well-known and well-respected student of color was called into the office because, if I remember correctly, he was caught parking without a parking pass multiple times. Obviously, this is a completely nonviolent offense. However, he started arguing with the administrator, and the resource officer was called in. I'm unsure exactly what happened, since it was shoved under the rug, but the officer used some level of physical force that was definitely not allowed in schools. Since that day, students have been wary of that officer's presence and don't really trust him. He once spoke to a class I was in and explained that he learned from the incident and felt awful to have traumatized a student and at the time had not yet adjusted from being away from street policing. However, that statement only reached 30 students, and it was only because we directly asked him about what happened. I personally believe he needed to publicly apologize to the entire student body and offer to answer questions or be available to students. I also believe he should not have been the one to respond in the first place. My school had security who were better trained in nonviolent de-escalation, and they also weren't armed. I also do not think police should be responsible for responding to nonviolent situations outside of schools. Someone in a mental health crisis should be aided by a person with psychological training who can help soothe them. Someone with a mental disability should be aided by an expert who understands and is trained to respond to that type of crisis. Drugs at schools can be confiscated by unarmed security and afterwards turned into police. And unless someone actually poses a physical threat in a situation that could potentially turn violent, police should not draw weapons or impose. But aside from removing police from situations they should not be involved in, I believe implementing community-oriented policing, also known by its unfortunate acronym COP, would be very effective. The proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences found that, quote, positive contact with the police delivered via brief door-to-door non-enforcement community policing visits substantially improved residents' attitudes toward police, including legitimacy and willingness to cooperate, end quote. These effects were seen among people who were not seen most, sorry, among people who were not white or abstractly, who were not already inclined to trust police. Non enforcement visits can include officers going door to door to ask residents how they are doing and if they have any concerns. It also includes officers asking residents what they think officers could be doing better to understand and serve them in their community. By working to build a relationship with a community that is more based on positive conversations than negative intervention when something bad happens, there will be an improvement in respect and communication in both the public eye and from the police perspective. I also believe chokeholds, no-knock warrants, and other procedures known to result in unnecessary violence and even death should be made illegal. Getting that done on the federal level is a step in the right direction but it ultimately affects very few cases, since policing is a state power. What would be much more effective would be laws that introduce new mandates on how states receive funding based on reforming policing procedures.
1: Lily, what are your thoughts on qualified immunity? Banning chokeholds and no-knock warrants is definitely essential to ensuring safer police responses, and I agree that what you said about giving states funding based on their reforming procedures is also a good idea but I think eliminating qualified immunity is necessary to ensure officers are accountable for their actions. Would you agree?
0: I definitely agree that qualified immunity needs to at least be severely limited, although that goes into such a gray area that eliminating it entirely would just be much more clear-cut. I think it would force officers to think twice before committing any level of violence against another person, which is obviously very important and definitely doesn't happen as often as it should. Their job does require a lot of life-threatening life, th- life situations which can take a toll on mental health and result in erratic behaviors, which also needs to be considered. Of course, that never justifies killing another person, but those violent acts should also could be reduced by providing officers with the mental health care they might need.
2: I genuinely do agree that police officers need to be called less for non-violent offenses, but in scenarios that require mental health experts. How would you fund that saying that these experts would cost more to the taxpayer?
0: I honestly don't think these experts would cost much more taxpayer money. Yes, they might be a tiny bit more costly due to increased necessary education, but there is good reason for that tax increase since it means better protection for community members. I also think mental health experts could reduce the need for as many traditional officers. If you think about it, there are a lot of instances where two officers might respond to a nonviolent scene. If mental health responders are added to law enforcement, departments would only need one traditional officer and one mental health expert to respond to such scenes. All right, thank you for the great questions, guys. Um, Now we're gonna take another quick break and come back with Emmett, who will be telling us a bit about his perspective from the left, stay tuned. Life can be dramatic, but day-to-day relationships aren't always like you see on TV. You can help the young people in your life work through the drama by engaging them in conversations about healthy relationships. Use Connect With Me activity cards to start discussions on this subject and other topics that matter to teens. Visit health.mo.gov connect to access these free cards and resources.
2: A message from the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services. Look at me, busy as a bee. Where'd I get all this energy? Oh meth, mm, meth. I don't sleep and I don't eat, but I've got the cleanest house on the street. Oh
0: meth,
2: mm, meth. Ah, get these hairs all out of my face. Get ah, these bugs all out of my place. One more hit, no time to waste.
0: Oh meth, mm, meth. All right, welcome back to Panorama on KCOU 88.1 FM Columbia. Today we're talking about police reform. We've talked about police reform from the right and center, and now Emmett will talk to us about his perspective from the left.
1: American policing is an institution rooted in three traditions, racism, violence, and protecting the status quo. Policing in America traces its roots back to the Southern Slave Patrols tasked with enforcing fugitive slave laws, Many modern city police forces originated in the early 1800s with the express purpose of enforcing order and controlling the poor, immigrants, and free black Americans in cities. As the 14th Amendment outlawed slavery, state governments in the South passed Jim Crow laws to segregate black Americans, and police were tasked with enforcing these racist laws with violence. Police have long existed to use their guns and batons to beat down marginalized people and enforce anti-black, anti-immigrant, and anti-poor laws. Although slavery and Jim Crow are no longer in the law, the police still violently enforce a racist status quo. As we have seen time and time again, police have beaten and killed innocent people for sleeping while black, playing while black, driving while black, having a mental breakdown while black, and just walking down the street while black. As I said in the introduction, people of color are much, much more likely to die at the hands of police than white people are. We must do something to prevent this racist, violent institution from doing any more harm. The simple fact is that we must remove police from any situation where violence is not required, because as an an inherently violent institution, police will bring violence wherever they go. They should not respond to mental health issues, petty thefts, or other minor crimes where they will cause nothing but harm. They should not bring their guns and shields and tear gas to peaceful demonstrations, which they make violent with their presence. We should call on them only when people are in danger." They should respond to murderers and hostage situations and domestic abuse incidents, but not to property crimes where the only thing in danger is a target. We also need to eliminate qualified immunity to hold police accountable. Under qualified immunity, police can only face prosecution if a plaintiff can prove that the officer violated their constitutional rights and the fact pattern of the case lines up with a previous case. The Fourth Amendment already gives police the benefit of the doubt in court, so eliminating qualified immunity would not result in frivolous lawsuits or a hesitant police force. It would just make sure that police can be held accountable for the crimes they commit. We should eliminate qualified immunity, force police to personally respond to lawsuits, and create a national registry to ensure that individual officers face retribution for their actions. We can reduce the need for police with better laws. We can give every American a home so police don't respond to the homeless. We can create safe injection sites and decriminalize drugs so the police don't respond to drug cases. And we can give every American a living wage to cut down on theft. Crime goes away when people have the means to provide for themselves. So instead of focusing on protecting the status quo, let's change our laws so we don't need to rely on militarized police to main order. maintain order. Sorry.
0: Emmett, I agree that police should not be responsible for handling mental health or other nonviolent cases. Who do you think should be responsible for responding to those nonviolent cases?
1: As both of you guys have mentioned earlier in this episode, I agree. I think that mental health professionals or social workers should be responsible in these instances. Maybe the police department could hire them, so when someone calls 911 to report a mental health incident, an officer and a health professional or just a health professional could go respond. The health professional could respond first, approaching the situation from a non-violent and compassionate angle. The officer is there only to intervene if the situation becomes violent, and the person being responded to endangers the healthcare worker. The difference in this situation would be that the response would begin from a non-violent standpoint instead of a violent one, and it would keep everybody safe, because an officer would be able to protect people if they need that.
2: You say we need to eliminate qualified immunity to hold police accountable. How would this process of eliminating qualified immunity lead to better police accountability, and how will it keep people safe from harmful policing?
1: Eliminating qualified immunity will ensure better accountability because police officers will know that they cannot kill with impunity. If we eliminate it, police will still have some benefit of the doubt in court, thanks to the Fourth Amendment. That will ensure that they are not punished for every bad split-second decision that they make but they will no longer have the extremely strong protection of qualified immunity that shields them from consequences as long as the facts of their case have not occurred before in court. Police need to be held accountable for killing unarmed people, and by holding them to the same standards as anyone else who murders, we can hold them to justice and discourage police from acting recklessly. Police do need some wiggle room because their job is mentally stressful and involves quick decision-making that sometimes can lead to bad decisions. But that wiggle room should not exist when they kill someone. That is where the line has to be drawn. And by eliminating qualified immunity, we can draw that line.
0: All right. Thank you for those great responses, Emmett. Now we're going to take another quick break and then come back to a free-form debate where we pick a topic from our discussion and debate it unscripted. Stay tuned. Hi. We are peers from the Sexual Health Advocacy Peer Educator Program, SHAPE at Mizzou. We are stronger than ever this year. To refresh your memory, we provide a variety of services centered around sexual health education to faculty, students, and staff on Mizzou's campus as well as the Columbia area. We provide free barrier contraception methods across campus and residence halls, the women's center, and the student health center. We provide sexual health educational programs to organizations on campus. We put on events throughout the year such as Spectacular and Get Yourself Tested. All right, welcome back to Panorama on KCOU 88.1 FM, Columbia. Today we've been talking about police reform. We've talked about our perspectives from the left, right, and center, and now we're having a free-form debate about a, a tiny little piece that Emmett said in his script earlier. So what Emmett said is they should respond to murders— or. Er, they, as in police, should respond to murders and hostage situations and domestic abuse incidents, but not to property crimes where the only thing in danger is a target. First, I'm going to let Emmett kind of uh, dive into what he meant there a little bit.
1: Okay, yeah, for sure. So basically what I'm saying here, of course, this is not an exhaustive list. These three things here are not the only situations where I think that police should respond. But what I'm basically saying here is I only think that police should respond to a situation When the situation has an overwhelming, like when the situation is putting people in danger, not necessarily property. So if someone walks into a Target and starts breaking windows, but they're not threatening any people, I don't think police officers with guns and tasers should respond to that. But if you know your bike has been stolen, or if something you own has been stolen, or if someone's broken into your house, and they're already gone, of course, like if the crime has already happened and it's a property crime, I think the police could respond to that. Because you're having detectives respond and trying to, you know, piece what happened, not necessarily respond with violence immediately. So, yeah, basically, that's what I meant there.
0: Uh, Yeah, I I kind of agree with you there, Emmett, especially with uh, um, figuring out who committed a crime after it's happened in terms of theft and that kind of thing, because that's what there are non-emergency numbers for um, so that you can call in and, and get that report written. Um, and there's no immediate response from police anyway in that kind of situation. So so that's totally great. However, I think that, you know, if somebody walks into a crowded target and they do start smashing windows or damaging items, that is aggressive and erratic behavior and they could become a physical threat to other people or if other people try to intervene or, or tell them to stop because that is something that, you know, typically happens when people are expressing these kinds of behaviors. And so I think that there should definitely be at least one, you know, a police officer there if there's an officer um, nearby or, you know, they can get one there in time. But I also think that there should be somebody there alongside that officer who is trained in de-escalation who might be able to talk to that person as well. And then the officer would respond um, if that person could not calm down or did not calm down or did become a physical threat to other people, kind of like we talked about a, a bit earlier.
1: Okay. Yeah, my counter to that is, um, I think that's what, like, security should be for. Like, if you have a target, you know, target employees, I think they employ security personnel. And I think the security should be responsible for responding immediately to something like that. Especially if it's just something like, you know, like, the thing I said earlier about breaking windows and, like, destroying products. That's, I do agree, that, sort, that somewhat does go on the spectrum of, like, Veering into potential danger to people because, you know, like you said, if someone tries to intervene or break it up, they could get, you know, somebody could respond violently to that. But, like, if they're just, like, stealing something, like, for example, let's say, you know, you walk in, like, somebody walks into a store, picks up, I don't know, like, picks up something and leaves, like, picks up something and leaves and is running out. And let's say the target calls the police because somebody stole something. You know, the police should not be responding to that unless, you know, the person calling the police says, I think this person had a gun or I think this person is a danger. Like in that instance, I think like the instance with like breaking windows and causing havoc in the store that's a little more wiggle room for that. But definitely someone's just stolen something.
0: Um, Nico, I promise I'll let you talk after this. (laughs) But um, I just want to say that the problem with private security is that when somebody commits a crime and of course damaging property, whether it's corporation property or individual property, is still illegal. And those people do need to be, you know, charged for those crimes. And, and private security personnel, their job is only de-escalation. Like, they, they can't, they have no legal power and their actions are not legally binding. They can't do anything to actually stop these situations from happening. And a lot of people know that. Um, and, you know, also... I kind of see what you mean in terms of, you know, if someone runs out with a TV, the cops aren't going to get called. Most most stores and most employees are told if they see somebody shoplifting not to intervene just to let them because it, you know, if they do try and intervene, it could put the employee in danger and cause a violent scene. And that's, that's what security footage is for. So I can kind of – I can definitely see where you're coming from because – you know, inherently walking in and grabbing something and walking right back out calmly is not any form of aggressive behavior. It's still illegal, but there's going to be security footage of that person. And, you know, if an employee sees the time of day that somebody does that, they can report it to the police and go back and watch the footage and that person might get charged with that crime if they can find them. But yeah, in terms of of private security responding to people who are committing aggressive behaviors and damaging property, which is illegal, at the same time, that's, that's something that um, doesn't really work out since those, those staffers don't really have any legal power. True. All
1: right, I'll let Nico respond.
2: Yeah, I am definitely kind of agreeing with what Lily is saying and the fact that we do need police for this types of situation. Breaking windows at a target could be considered vandalism. It could be considered breaking and entering. And at that point, someone needs to go to jail someone you don't need to just de-escalate that situation if someone's breaking a bunch of windows at a target you don't just need to be like hey calm down you need to say hey you or you need to detain them you need to um, get that restitution for that private entity and you need to be able to respond to not allow them to be able to do something like that again if someone is stealing it is the same process that is burglary that is most, of, most times seen as either a misdemeanor or it can be seen as a felony depending on how much was stolen. And in that case, they need to go to jail. Uh, if we don't continue to pursue these people and put these people in jail, even though it is a nonviolent offense, they are going to continue to do the same thing and continue to do the same thing. And it's just going to seem like we are allowing people to steal and allowing people to vandalize and allowing people to break and enter.
1: Oh, okay. Um, I think you're misunderstanding what I'm saying, then. Because I do think that, like, obviously, I think if you break a window in a Target or steal something or do a property crime, I think you definitely should go to jail for that, because it is a crime. And, I mean, okay, I, I do think that if you're, like, stealing something to feed your family, I don't think you should go to jail for that, because I think, you know, the law is not morality. And I think in a moral situation, you should give uh you know give precedence to the moral thing but of course we you know that's just my opinion but like i do think that like what you could do instead is say let's let's go back to the hypothetical situation with someone stealing property and destroying windows in a target like security personnel can be there to de-escalate the situation and because they're actually private employees and not cops they don't have qualified immunity and they'd be actually more accountable in court So they're more likely to respond to the situation more coolly because they know that they can't just get away scot-free in court. But then secondly, um, you know, like, they can de-escalate the situation and then, like, you know, restrain the person, call the police to come get them. Or, you know, we could treat it something more like the shoplifting example where, like, you restrain them, you kick them out of the store, and then you have the police go get them. You know, something like that where you're not... You're not putting violence in a situation that doesn't already contain violence, which police bring. But you're still making sure that there is a legal you know, consequence for behaving
2: that way. The police aren't always going to be violent. There are, of course, instances where two out of ten police are going to be bad police and are going to just beat on someone for the sake of beating on someone. But your quote was "They, sh- police should respond to murderers and hostage situations and a domestic abuse incidents, but not to property crimes where the only thing in danger is a target. If police should not respond at all to when the only thing in danger is a target and someone is bashing in windows, who is going to send them to jail? Because like we discussed earlier, the, the security for Target is not gonna be able to send them to jail. And yeah, they might be able to detain them for a little bit until the police come, At the end of the day, they don't really have much power until if they go outside of the target. Their only jurisdiction would be that target, if that
0: makes sense. Yeah, that's a very good point, Nico, that I hadn't really thought about. The second the person, you know, leaves the building or leaves the parking lot, they're gone. (laughs) Um, You know, those security officers are not authorized to respond on any form of public property that does not belong to the business there they're working at. Um, Although I do want to say, Emma, I I do agree with you that, you know, if you have an instance of people who are really struggling financially stealing something that is like a canned good or a a produce item or something that is needed to feed their family, or, you know, same thing if you have a homeless person stealing food to feed themselves because they just have no other option, I agree that they shouldn't be charged of any, any form of crime because that's not the main problem. The problem is... You know, why are these people struggling so much? Not, oh, this one individual person stole something. And so I think you definitely made a really good point there with, you know, you have to look at what and why the person is committing that kind of crime. And and same could be for smashing a window. You know, if you have somebody with with a mental disability or mental illness and they are having some sort of breakdown, you know, that's not an instance where you want a police officer to respond violently because that person is either not aware or not capable of, you know, really comprehending what's going on. And so that is something that is is kind of murky water to kind of tread in a bit.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you've got it right there. That's my exact thoughts on policing and crime and all of that. Like, crime, like, the majority of people who commit crimes don't just commit crimes because they feel like it. They commit crimes out of a need. Crimes show where society is falling short and if you have people stealing and if you have people, you know, trespassing so they can get shelter, stuff like that, like that's showing that we have a homelessness problem. We have a problem with people not having enough to eat. So instead of responding to those situations with, you know, charges and putting them in jail immediately, of course, we should put people in jail when they do it. But like the purpose of crime and like responding to crime should not be how do we make sure that we punish people for doing something? It's how do we make sure that we fulfill this need in society so people don't feel they have to commit this crime anymore? So, yeah, like we need programs that give people living wages. We need programs that give people homes. We need programs that give people food at lower costs and medical care and all of that. So we don't need – I mean, of course, we have police to protect people. We don't need to, like, be pushing down on crime because the point of crime is to fulfill a societal need. And I did want to respond to something Nico said about police being violent. I don't think that every single individual police officer is violent. Of course not. That's, you know, that's preposterous because not every single person is violent. But I think when you give someone a gun and you give someone a taser and you give someone a baton and you give them legal immunity that other people don't have and you tell them that they have to, you know, respond to a situation and break it apart, at all means necessary – Nonviolent people can become violent, and when you give somebody that amount of power and you know, to cause violence in a situation, you need to pretend that all of them could be violent, and you need to legislate based off that because you can't ensure that no cop will ever be violent. So You, you, can't, you can't take it out with bias training. You can't take it out with behavior training because when you give someone a gun and you give someone the ability to you know, corral other people and make them follow the laws, they're going to sometimes become violent.
0: Yeah, I, I have to agree with Emmett there. Um, you know, if you look at things such as like this, the Stanford prison experiment, you had regular people given fake power over other regular people who were fake prisoners. And that situation did quickly escalate and become violent. And it's one of the biggest examples in psychology today of an unethical test because of the violence that was committed by those regular people who didn't have any genuine authority in society and it was it was completely a a fake situation and you know but in reality you do have police officers and prison guards who do commit kind of you know that violence because they know they have immunity over other people who don't have that same privilege and i mean i think we kind of talked about i think all of us agree to an extent maybe nico That that qualified immunity should be, at the very least, reduced.
2: Reduced, I agree, Mm -hmm. yeah.
0: Because it it does allow similar situations in real life, as we saw in an experiment with the Stanford Prison Project.
1: Because the hurdle is just too high. It's preposterous. (laughs) Because, like, you're basically requiring cops to have a deep knowledge of constitutional law. You know, like, you're basically expecting them to know every single case that's occurred in the past with police officers. It's ridiculous.
0: Right. But, and sorry. And and they definitely, you know, don't have that knowledge because they have less training than a, a barber. Yeah. And constitutional
1: <laughs> scholars don't have that sort of knowledge off the top of their head. No.
2: Okay. But I definitely do think that uh, cops should have guns just for the worst case scenario. Agreed. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah. I know that it's difficult for them that if they have a gun that it can't to the fact that they are going to use that gun. But they need to have those guns, which takes me back to the um, what I said in my statement in the very beginning that we need to get back to the basics, to the fundamentals of their training and better choosing who is going to be who can be a police officer and who cannot be. there are just way too many people allowed to be um, police officers, and if we kind of choose better based off of psychological analysis and clear like lack of biases and then have that training of bias training to where they ensure that they either do not have explicit bias or those prejudices can be completely like marginalized and completely um, just done away with. And just given the training to be patient and the training to continue to just take a step back and assess the situation better rather than diving in deep. I think that it's with better training and with better preparation that these police officers can continue to protect and serve as they're called to do. They can continue to have their gun as a last case scenario, and they'll use their gun less. With better training, they won't have a need for their gun. They won't have the need for the baton because they can use their words to try to de-escalate situations.
1: yeah. Like, I do think that training is important for sure. Like, training is essential. Like, we need to make sure that people, you know, recognize their biases and try to fight them. But, like, I think assuming that we can solve many of these problems with just training is assuming that humans can be programmed to behave a certain way. Because, you know, like, you can have all the training in the world, all the education in the world. But, you know, like, if you're in a situation where, you know, you're not thinking clearly, you can still pull out a gun and shoot someone, like... I think that we need to not rely on people. Like, we can't just trust people to always behave well, even if they've been trained on how to behave well. So we need to put legal safeguards in place and make sure we're responding, like, sending police to the correct situation so we don't even allow that possibility. Like, we need to trust that humans are not machines. Like, humans are human, and they can make mistakes even if they, you know, have training. Because the air is human, even if you have 200 hours of training and bias and patience.
0: Um yeah, I, I totally agree. First I first I wanna say though that um I'm glad we all agree that police should have guns because um while it is the same way in real life, Me I know my, my parents joke with it, they they watch like British crime shows and the police in those shows don't have guns and they don't have guns in real life either. And so there'll be these bad guys which with like automatic guns and the police officers will just be hiding and running away and trying to avoid because they literally cannot fight back against these <laughs> criminals like that. right and it's it's honestly kind of hilarious to watch in in a tv show but it's scary that it happens in real life um but i also want to say that yeah I, I agree that we can't trust humans not you know to to just be machines and that's that's why i talked about um community policing because you know if you have those officers going to um a family and that family tells them yeah um You know, my son has this this disability that, you know, he sometimes acts out of it or something like that. And then um, the police receive a complaint, maybe from a neighbor or somebody passing by about this family. They say, oh, yeah, I know about this. It's not a big deal. We'll just go and, you know, help the family de-escalate the situation. Um, It allows them to make those better decisions if they know their community. You know, alongside, I, I do think they should have extra training. I agree with both of you on that. But community policing um, definitely allows, you know, officers to have a better understanding of the people they're actually responding to when incidences do occur. And it also allows the people to trust the officers to know what their family needs and, you know, what those situations look like.
1: Yeah. Despite the um, uh, unsavory acronym of community oriented policing, (laughs) uh, I do think the community policing is a good thing because, I mean, yeah, like if you think about it, like, what we want police to do is a good thing for society. Like ideally, if we just had a group of people who could protect people when there is violence in society and make sure that, you know, people follow the laws, but don't violently punish them for not following them. That's like the ideal, right? Like, cause we want people to be safe and happy. And if we have a group of people who ideally would keep people safe and happy by, you know, making sure people are following the law and being a positive force in the community, that's a great thing. Right. And like, like, of course, police have racist origins. We've covered that. And like in their current form, I'm not sure that we can keep them in their current form and expect them not to behave in a racist and violent way. But like, if we did have that ideal, you know, community policing is what we want, right? Like, I think it's where we should be. I think it's where we should be going. And I think that, you know, I think that uh, legislators should be aiming for that and that individual police departments and states should be using that as their model for what policing should be, not a system to, you know, tamp down on black people and poor people and immigrants just for maintaining the status quo.
0: Um, I definitely agree. Um, That's been a great discussion, you guys. Um, I think it's about time to wrap it up, though. Um, This has been Panorama on KCOU 88.1 FM Columbia. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. We have shows every Sunday at 6 p.m., so feel free to hop on and give us a listen. In the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy, and have a great week.